This is Doug Jones, founder and CEO of Get Elected. The midterm elections were an unexpected challenge for Republicans across the country, but no one outworked our candidates and volunteers here in Pennsylvania. Regardless of the outcome, I want to congratulate every one of you on a hard-fought campaign season. On behalf of Republicans everywhere, thank you for all you do to preserve our heritage and beliefs. It's Saturday at 1 o'clock, and you know what time that is, folks. It's time for The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. Yes, it's The Elephant in the Room here, the Republican Committee of Allegheny County's weekly show and podcast. I'm your host, Sam DeMarco. I want to remind you, you can hear us on 1320 AM. You can hear us on the iHeartRadio app. You can hear us on Spotify, Apple, and Amazon. And today, I am excited. We have a great show tonight. But before we get started, I want to introduce my executive director, John Schneider. John, say hi. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here, as always. Our fantastic producer, Daryl Grandy, the man who makes the magic happen. Hi, Sam. Hey, Daryl. And we have another guest uh, in the room here today with us, and that's Lenny McAllister, senior fellow at the Commonwealth Foundation. Hi, Lenny. It's always good to see you, Sam. It's good to see you. Now, hey, before we get talking about stuff, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce a special guest we have here, someone who is speaking my language. You guys may know, right after the election, and uh, it didn't turn out the way we wanted to, and I had said my immediate takeaway was Republican attitudes on mail-in ballots needed to change. We can't afford. It's like we're running a 100-meter race against the Democrats and giving them a 40-meter head start, Okay. And I met this guy, actually didn't meet him, but came across a tweet of his on Twitter and was like blown away because he is speaking my language. And I think he's far ahead of me looking to learn from him today. And I'm hoping all of the Republicans that are listening here pay attention to what he has to say. I'd like to welcome Athen Kutsarumbas. Hi, Athen. How are you? Yeah. Fantastic. Sam, you pronounced my name better than my own children. That was <laughs> well, I, you know, it's funny. Hey, folks, for the folks listening, um, you know, Athen has a long Greek name, and I wanted to pronounce it right. So I asked him before, I said, hey, Athen, I, you know, which, how do you pronounce your last name? And he said Smith. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we, we are getting off on the, on the right start here. No, Athen, while I have you, like I said, uh, since 2020 – you know, I've been the chairman here in Allegheny County since 2019. I recognize that mail-in ballots, while many of our folks don't like them, it's the law that's in place, and we need to use it if we want to win. And it's been a constant uphill battle because Republicans, you know, they're used to voting on election day. They're not used to an election season. And this year here uh, in Allegheny County, which had more mail-in ballots than any other county in the state, midterm election. Republicans, we had the most Republican ballots, but they only made up 14.9% of the ballots that requested. We cannot continue to do this and have any hope of winning. And that's where I hope, you know, your insight uh, and your help and assistance comes in because I think we need an evangelist to be able to talk about this statewide and explain this to folks so that they understand that, hey, you may not like it, but we got to use it. So, Sam, I couldn't agree more with everything that you said. And let me give our listeners a little bit of background mm-hmm. on voting by mail in Pennsylvania. So prior to Act 77 passing, which was the law that created mail-in ballots, 
Pennsylvania had a system prior to that for mail-in ballots. It was called absentee ballots. And Sam, across Pennsylvania, Republicans absolutely dominated that process. Mm-hmm. We would go so far as to mail every likely Republican voter an absentee ballot application. And our voters would complete those applications, send them back to their county courthouses, and vote by mail. What changed with Act 77 is that the absentee ballot process essentially said you're allowed to vote by mail if you know you're not going to be home on Election Day. And what vote by mail did is said you can vote by mail excuse-free whenever you want. And the difficulty that we had as a party was that it was introduced during the pandemic. And while Democrats were in line lockstep with Dr. Fauci to make sure that they wore their masks, triple masked, and and didn't go out in public, Democrats adopted vote-by-mail in record numbers. So, for Mm -hmm. example, in Philadelphia County in 2020, over half of every Democrat who voted voted by mail despite the fact that your average Philadelphian lives maybe no more than five minutes away from their precinct. Whereas Republicans, we said, look, we kind of like it the old school way. We'll go vote in person. And the point that I want to stress to every Republican and to your audience today is that we do have voter ID in Pennsylvania. The problem is it's not when you go vote in person but it's when you vote by mail. Let me explain. So when you go vote in person in Pennsylvania, there is a requirement that you don't have to have ID unless it is your first time voting at a precinct. So in theory, where I live in Bucks County in southeastern Pennsylvania, I can say I'm Sam DeMarco. And if there's a Sam DeMarco registered in my polling place, I could technically vote for you because I don't have to show voter ID. Mm -hmm. However, in order to vote by mail, the only way that I can vote by mail is if I provide a driver's license number or a social security number. And counties are required by law to verify that number or else I cannot cast a mail-in ballot. So we have voter ID in Pennsylvania. We have it with our mail-in balloting process. And I would argue, Sam, that despite convention, conventional wisdom, the process we have set up today for mail-in ballots is more secure than the process we have for in-person voting. We cannot be down a million votes across Pennsylvania on Election Day and think we're going to win. We have to fight fire with fire. We have to compete. And voting by mail is our way to do that. No, I, I couldn't. Athan, this is why I love having you on the show, because I couldn't agree with you more. You know, and uh, I mean, I think I, as the county chairman and as a member of the Board of Elections, spend an inordinate amount of time trying to shoot down, I don't want to say conspiracy theories. We have a lot of good, well-meaning people, but they hear something, they don't understand the process, so they automatically assume that something is going on. So, for example, the point you just made was that in all these mail-in ballot applications— and absentee, you know, it's required to provide identifying information, either the last four digits of your social security number or your Pennsylvania driver's license number, that counties have to verify it. You know, there had been a press release that went out that there were 235,000 plus unverified ballots that were sent out. 
and people were going nuts. And, and the problem is not only was this whole process introduced during the pandemic, but also was introduced when we had a former president who was railing against the use of mail-in ballots. And, and to be fair, he wasn't talking about the way we do things in Pennsylvania, where you have to submit an application to request a ballot, but was more railing against the states that were just w- mailing out willy-nilly ballots to every registered voter, when we know in some states, well, we just know voter rules, it's really impossible to keep those relatively uh, you know, pristine due to the fact that people die every day and people move every day. So, you know, this has been a challenge. And again, um, you know, you and I uh, are preaching to each other. We're part of the choir because we recognize the need to use these. And for folks who think we can't win with them, look at Florida, you know, and that's why we need to uh, able to make blue places red using mail-in ballots because Governor DeSantis implemented a secure process. And look, if I were... If I were ever emperor of Pennsylvania, the first thing I would do is I would end mail-in ballots. I would move election day to Saturday, and I would have one day on the weekend where everybody was off from work and they could go vote, and it was accessible and easy to do. But that is not the world that we live in. The world that we live in is that we have these mail-in ballots, we have a secure process to do it, and we have to compete. And something that was very important to me, Sam, Mm -hmm. is that I wanted to combat a lot of the misinformation by actually digging in and understanding how exactly the Democrats do mail-in balloting. So what I did was I pulled the records of every single Pennsylvanian who voted by mail. And by law, it is required that when somebody applies to vote by mail, when a ballot is mailed to them, and when a ballot is returned to the courthouse, that each of those receives a timestamp. So I look, combed through about a million records to understand when do Democrats enroll to vote by mail, when do they get their ballots, and when do they send them back. And Pennsylvania has 67 counties, and there was an incredibly distinct trend in 66 of Pennsylvania's 67 counties. I'll talk about the outlier in a minute. But what we saw was uniform across Pennsylvania is that two-thirds of Democrats enroll to vote by mail in the spring, and one-third of Democrats enroll to vote by mail in the fall. Well, why is that? It's very simple. The vote-by-mail law says that a county is obligated to send a letter to all prior vote-by-mail applicants asking them, do you want to do this again? So the Democrats are very smart. They say, hey, wait a minute, Allegheny County is about to use taxpayer dollars to ask all these people if they want to vote by mail again. So you get this official envelope from the county Mm -hmm. saying, do you want to vote by mail? And instead of letting that letter fall into the ether or get lost at the bottom of the pile, the Democrats will call those voters, text those voters, run digital ads to those voters saying, your application is coming this week. Make sure you fill it out and get it back right away. With that process alone, they get two-thirds of likely voting Democrats to enroll to vote by mail. And then the remaining one-third happens during the fall. And that's easy to understand. That's the fever pitch of the campaign. And Democrats are saying, hey, I'm not sure if I can vote in person. Let me do this vote by mail thing. Interestingly, something that I've learned from friends in the Democratic Party is that three weeks before the election, they pump the brakes 
on enrolling people to vote by mail. The reason being is that they have a high attrition rate for anybody who applies to vote by mail about two or three weeks out from the election. They'd rather drag that person to the poll in person. Now, in the 66 of Pennsylvania, 67 counties, almost nobody enrolls to vote by mail during the summer. And I think that that's easy to understand, right? People are on vacation, people are wherever they're gonna be. But there was one county in Pennsylvania that bucked that trend, and that was Delaware County in suburban Philadelphia. They Their trend was uh, stunning, whereas two-thirds of Democrats across 66 of Pennsylvania, 67 counties, enrolled to vote by mail in the spring. The majority of Democrats in Delaware County who voted by mail applied to vote by mail in the summer. And we have to ask ourselves, how on earth did they do that? There, nothing nefarious happened, Sam. All they did was they worked. They had a mm-hmm. series of competitive house races, and any volunteer who knocked on a door or any paid canvasser who knocked on a door, they carried with them mail-in ballot applications, just like we used to do back in the day with absentee ballot applications. And we'd find our voters and say, hey, if you don't think you can vote in person, do me a favor, fill out this application, mail it in to make sure that you vote. They worked their butts off and they proved it during the summer because they're the only county in Pennsylvania that moved the needle to get their people to vote. So before Labor Day, they had about half of their votes in the bank. That is exactly what we need to do throughout Pennsylvania. We have to replicate that model to get our people voting as soon as possible. Couldn't agree more. I've been telling our folks that after January 1st, every voter contact that we make needs to come with a mail-in and absentee ballot application, you know, because you're absolutely right. In Allegheny County alone, over 90,000, you know, letters will go out to folks that are on the, and, and they call it the permanent list, but you have to renew annually, but they'll get these letters sent out by the county, paid for by the taxpayers, you know, which are a reminder and ensure that ballots go out to those folks. And, you know, my frustration has been, that, you know, the Democrats spend 50 days of the early voting period and they're out there knocking on doors, but they're collecting these votes, putting them in the bank, and all we're collecting are promises that someone's going to show up on Election Day, okay? And in that 13-hour period that we have, there's there, there's no way you can win when you're starting the day, you know, like you said, 650,000 to a million votes down. The, the, the numbers just don't work. You know, and I, when I talk to Republicans and they say, no, 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 you know, we vote on election day. Well, not enough of you do because last year in the 20, 2021 general election, 57% of Republicans didn't show up to vote. Yeah, Sam, you bring up a great point. And after this midterm, uh, I had to do a lot of soul searching myself because I was very bullish in Republican prospects across Pennsylvania. And when I started looking at the numbers, I was shocked at the number of Republicans who did not vote that should have voted. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing that stood out for me was that you look at Philadelphia, where so many Democrats live. In 2020, Philadelphia had its smallest share of the statewide vote in 20 years, meaning that if a statewide candidate is going to lose the city of Philadelphia by under 350,000 votes, They shouldn't be biting their nails all night asking, am I going to win? They should be measuring drapes. 
Right. Because that is a tally out of Philadelphia that any Republican should be able to uh, overcome. And I think as a party, we have to go through a process over the next couple months to reconcile why did our part, why did our rank and file members not vote? It's not on them. It's ultimately on us as party leaders to figure out what can we do better to make sure that they are motivated and mobilized to come out to vote. I couldn't agree more. Our job is to put the infrastructure in place to enable them to be able to make their voices heard, okay? And, uh, you know, we, we have failed to do that by stressing and, as I said, evangelizing, you know, why we have to use all the tools at our disposal in order to compete. And I agree with you. If we do it, we can certainly win, you know. <clears throat> but for our folks out there that say, I don't like mail-in voting, I get that. But I hope you don't like losing more, okay? <laughs> you know, and uh, so we're, we're trying to sell this. But, uh, you know, you wrote, you are talking about Delaware County, and you wrote a great article that was in Real Clear, Pennsylvania this past week. Folks, yeah. if, if you get a chance, go out to realclearpennsylvania.com. And if you can't find Athens' article, you can Google. It's America's ballot harvesting capital is in suburban Philly. And it will just pull up for you the link. But great article, and he explains a lot about how this how this works. You know, and the other thing here, Athens, where they've made some significant inroads on the other side, is in the past, uh, the colleges and universities, many of the young kids, they they would come out to listen to John Bon Jovi or Bruce Springsteen when they showed up, you know, with the Democrat politician du jour. But they didn't want to get out of bed on election day and go vote. Well, now they no longer have to. And they're using mail-in ballots, you know, and this is a place where Democrats are harvesting those, so to speak. And again, when I say harvesting, I don't mean in the illegal terms. I mean, they're just being able to go in in a dense populated area and to be able to collect a lot of votes, you know, and this vote by mail enables that we need to be able to do the same type of thing. And, uh, I'm for, for one, I'm on this side of the state. I am so glad and happy that we have someone like you on the other side of the state that's trying to push this, uh, this message as well. We've got to get the word out. Uh, I think people want to win. Uh, I think we know how to win. It's just a function of executing moving forward. And Sam, I'm pretty optimistic about the future for Republicans in Pennsylvania. I think we have a fantastic slate of appellate court judges in 2023 Mm -hmm. that can put our legal process back on track in Pennsylvania. And 2024, I, I feel great. I think we're going to have a fantastic presidential ticket. I think that we're going to have a fantastic slate of, uh, of Republican congressional candidates. Top, top down, bottom up, we're going to have fantastic candidates. And I feel great about the Republican Party's future. You know, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you're a young guy, Athen. I'm an old guy, okay? You know, I'm 64. And I, I've always told people, and this is my business career, I told people I was lazy. And I said, when I say I'm lazy, what I mean by that is I only want to do things once. So let's do them right the first time, you know? Uh, And I feel the same way about this. I don't want to go in and work my rear end off and not do what we need to do to be able to win. So I can tell you that I'll be, have my hand raised to be one of those evangelists, you know, pushing this, uh, this, this mail in voting and, uh, 
as much as I can here in Allegheny County, you know, because out West, you talked about Philly and the numbers coming out of Philly have dropped, but unfortunately the numbers that Democrats are getting in Allegheny County has gone up. Now, Allegheny County as a whole, for our listeners who don't know, there are about 936, 938,000 registered voters. 538,000 are registered Democrats, 264,000 are registered Republicans. So on a countywide basis, it's more than two to one. But a lot of that Democrat majority is made up from the registration in the city of Pittsburgh. City of Pittsburgh has a population of roughly 302,000, but has like 170,000 registered Democrats and 34, 35,000 registered Republicans. So in the city proper itself, Democrats outnumber Republicans over five to one. But in the rest of the county, it's only like 1.6 to one, okay? So we were victims in a way this year um, of the redistricting process and some of the other challenges we faced, a failure to utilize tactics that were available to us but that we didn't embrace, and some of the other headwinds we faced um, you know, out there with the Dobbs decision and some other things. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, excuses, you know, don't matter. What matters are results. And uh, we need to learn from this uh, last month's elections that we need to prepare properly, as you said, for the appellate court elections here in 2023. And even more importantly, for the presidential and U.S. Senate race we're going to have here in Pennsylvania in 2024. If you did not like the shutdowns, the people who enforced the shutdowns were the appellate courts in Pennsylvania. This is an opportunity for Republicans, conservatives, for anybody who believes in freedom and your right to personal responsibility to make sure that we have jurists in place who put freedom first. Oh, you're absolutely right. And in Athens, I didn't, I neglected to mention at the beginning of the show that while you were former chief of staff to United States Congressman Mike Fitzpatrick, you are a managing director out there for Long Nyquist and Associates. And you guys have a great candidate this year running for Supreme Court, uh, Carolyn Carluccio, who's the president judge in Montgomery County, correct? Judge Carluccio is a rock star. She is simply a rock star. She might be one of the strongest candidates I've seen run for the courts in 20 years. Uh, she is going to knock the socks off Republican voters when they get to meet her. Yeah, I had an opportunity to meet her last week in New York. And found her very, very impressive, you know, and look forward to her participation in the process here, you know, as we evaluate who our candidates are going to be. But she is certainly a, uh, a strong candidate and uh, look forward to hearing more from her. Yeah, she's been twice endorsed by the Republican Party. She was the first female uh, president judge of Montgomery County. She was the first uh, female public defender of Montgomery County. She was a former federal prosecutor who put drug dealers behind bars. I don't know how you do better than that. Uh, this, we have a home run candidate looking forward to this fall. No, a- absolutely. And I think the opportunity for Republicans here is to try to slowly climb back out of the hole we dug in the 2015 Supreme Court elections. You know, And uh, if we're able to take and win this seat here in 2023, That'll put us five to three in a great position uh, going into the 2025 uh, Supreme Court elections or judicial elections. So I'm very excited about what we're going to do. 
Yeah, and getting back to mail-in ballots, there were about 305,000 Republicans who applied for a mail-in ballot in 2022. If we can get 75% of those voters to re-enroll for 2023, we'll probably have maybe one-third of likely voters in the bank for the Supreme Court election next year. It is a big, big deal in a project that all of us can mobilize around. Well, and, and this is what we're going to have to do if we're going to be successful. And I know myself and I know you and, you know, Mike Long and, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Barley and a lot of the other folks there at Long Nyquist. I know you guys are dedicated to uh, getting these folks across the finish line. I look forward to working with you here in 2023. Athen, thank you so much for your time today. I uh, look forward to connecting with you offline. Um, you're doing God's work, my friend. Okay. My pleasure, Sam. Talk to you soon. You got it, my friend. Uh, folks, that was Athen Kutsarumbas, okay, managing director, Long Nyquist and Associates, and someone who recognizes what the Republicans need to do if we hope to take and win in 2023 going into 2024. Folks, we'll be right back after we break. This is Sam DeMarco, your host on The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM. The midterm elections are in the rearview mirror, and now it's time to start finding great school board candidates for 2023. Convince the right candidates to run using the Get Elected app for easy-to-understand voter data and analysis, canvassing tools, and more. Visit getelected.org and show them the path to victory. Get elected. Campaign with confidence. Welcome back to The Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM. Here with my executive director, John Schneider. And our other special guest here, Lenny McAllister, Senior Fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation. Lenny, welcome. Sam, good to see you again. How have you been? Um, I'm doing okay, my friend. A little bit of heartburn. Uh, midterm elections didn't turn out the way we wanted. And you heard us talking about that in the last segment with Athen. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, is a wonderful interview is the fact that with mail-in voting in the way the electorate is these days, people vote off of emotion extremely quickly. If you have that ballot with you and something gets on your nerves, like the school shutdowns, or once the shutdowns have transpired over these last two years, understanding what you're being taught in the schools, what your kids are actually experiencing, you get a chance to be able to look underneath the hood, you can make a difference right then and there. And what we as Republicans have had to do is take that anger and still bring you along in social media, bring you down to the polling station mm -hmm. on election day right. and hope that you're still going to vote the right. way you felt when you first heard about that issue. That doesn't always transpire. But as we have seen, when those parents and those voters have accessibility to the ballot box and they see things like education issues or crime issues, they vote our way. And to your point, it was an excellent interview. We have to get people to connect back to getting their voice out there. And if it's through mail-in ballots, we need to not be so averse to it moving forward. Look, people don't seem to understand. They, you know, they say, well, hey, I, I'm going to go vote on Election Day. I get that. I understand that. You know, and as Athens said, if I were king for the day, you know, I'd get rid of all mail-in ballots. Yeah. You have absentee for the people that absolutely needed it. You know, folks in the military, folks in the hospital or something like that. You know, whatever it might be. <clears throat> but the fact is, a lot of folks don't go out to vote. Things get in the way. If it rains, if you get an inch of rain, that takes and reduces turnout by 1%. If you get snow, yep. that reduces turnout, okay? People get sick. The car has problems. The kids get sick. They have to work late or lines are long. All these things affect turnout 
But all these things are things that could be avoided with the mail-in ballot. And, and Sam, you said something very interesting. The point that you brought about the kids getting sick. If we want to be a party for younger Americans, we have to think and embrace what they may be going through. You're 33 years old and you have two kids and one has the flu. And right now we're facing three different things flying around, three different Mm -hmm. viruses right now. We still want that young voter, that mom and that dad, particularly that mom that might be a swing voter in the collar counties of Philadelphia or here in the collar communities of Allegheny County to still vote with education in mind, with with. Um, community safety in mind and if we're putting barriers in the way or we're just not embracing what the 21st century electorate is asking for more and more we're we're limiting ourselves and when we have the solutions like school choice when we're trying to battle back against the crime that we're seeing all across Allegheny County when we're trying to make sure jobs are coming back to the region we can't get in our own way and unfortunately and we've been Republicans for a while we have a tendency to do this this is one that's avoidable and we need to embrace the right way so we can get the right solutions in public policy. I, I, I couldn't have said it better, Lenny. And you know, we've always prided ourselves, Republicans, on doing things the smarter way, the better way, right? And, and there's not a better way than to use what's available to us and to take advantage of it. And when I look at things, let's look at it from a, a monetary perspective. You know, Democrats, it seems like they're always out fundraising us. I mean, they have the unions, they have Act Blue. They have all these, you know, community, I have air quotes here, community groups. So they always have more money than us, okay? Uh, but they're also using it more effectively than we are. And this is how. When they get these folks to sign up for these mail-in ballots and get their ballots, those are folks they no longer have to send mailers to. Those are doors they no longer have to knock. Those are homes they no longer have to call. Those are mobile phone numbers that they no longer have to text, okay? So they continuously, as those ballots come in, they winnow their universe down, and that allows them to spend their money more effectively trying to get folks that wouldn't ordinarily vote for them or uh, independent, independence to the polls, and that helps them grow their turnout. We, on the other hand, because we're not using these, I mean, everything just continues to go out, and the universe that we're sending stuff to is so much bigger. I mean, before this election, how many mailers did you get all the way leading up to Election Day? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because I'm sitting there looking at you, and again, I want to thank you for your service to the country. But I use that as an example of what we're facing when it comes to voting. When you served in the Marines, the -hmm. way we fought a war and the way we, we prepared to fight a war was much different than how we fight wars now. Yep. Why are we trying to take tactics from 40 years ago to win geopolitically in a, an electoral standpoint and try to win today? We win through our economy. We win through strategy. We win through strength. Not the way we won in World War II. And even what we tried in World War II didn't work in Vietnam. If you take the same mindset from a military sp- standpoint and look at how we do our battles from a policy standpoint, from a political standpoint. The Democrats have said, okay, political wars are fought differently. This is how we're going to do it. We have said, no, 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 no. We have more foot soldiers. But wars are now fought with drones. We have to get to a point in time where we have resources and optimize those resources. Again, go back to being efficient and smart. Once we do that, it's a one-to-one battle. We're on the same playing field. We have the solutions. That's where we win. Well, you know what? That's my dilemma because I just said a moment ago that I believe that Republicans are smart. 
right? But yet some of us continue to try to prove the Democrats who say that we're the stupid party, okay? Because you're right. We refuse to embrace new tactics based upon the changing circumstances, you know, on the ground. In our military, you know, we talk about Marines, right? Adapt, improvise, overcome, okay? We need to be doing the same thing, you know, in our elections as we did out there. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we call ourselves conservatives because we protect tradition, okay? And when I say protect tradition, that doesn't mean I want to protect old, outdated thinking. It means I want to protect the things that work. Yeah. I want to protect our institutions. You know, I want to take and utilize best practices. I mean, we saw under former President Trump, you know, the best economy, uh, you know, of my lifetime. You know, lowest unemployment rate amongst blacks, lowest unemployment rate amongst Hispanics, lowest unemployment rate of high school graduates. We had real wages climbing for the first time for folks at the lower end of the scale than at the higher end of the scale. I mean, there was before this pandemic, there were so many incredible things happening. And now we have all these crises, you know, whether it was Afghanistan, whether it's a supply chain crisis, whether it's inflation, whether it's rising gas, for all these different things. But yet in these midterm elections, you know, folks did not choose, you know, our candidates. Now, you know, I, I have to say they did not choose our candidates, but I don't believe that it was an entirely a conscious choice because Republicans did outnumber from a popular vote perspective, you know, the number that Democrats yeah. had. I just think that they utilized some of these ideas, these new tactics, as Athens was explaining, to increase their turnout. You know, I don't think, the, I think the country's worse off because of it, but we need to learn from that. And it's ironic because the very people that supported Donald Trump in 2016 and in 2020, because he was different, won't take that same <laughs> mindset and do something different. If we, if Republicans collectively said, Mr. Trump, we want you to run, now that you won the nomination, please run your campaign like Jeb Bush would have if he would have won the nomination. Right. How would that have turned out in November 2016 for Donald Trump? So the same people that have said, I like Trump because Trump is different because he does something different. He can care less about the rules of the last 60 to 70 years. He's going to do it his way. And by the way, I think that's worked for the country during his four years as president are now saying, yeah, but I want to go back to 1964 now that he's not president. I'm going to vote the same way in 2022. And that prompted us to lose a major opportunity. Ideally, collectively as Republicans, We'll look at some of the successes we've had over recent years. The 2010 Tea Party movement's the same exact right. way. I was I was a president of a local Tea yes, Party exactly. organization at the time. Yep, exactly. If we took the establishment approach from 2008, you don't get the Tea Party wave of 2010 across Pennsylvania right. and across this country. You have to be innovative. And it's not like conservatives and Republicans have not been innovative over the last 20 years and had success with it. Why we abandoned it from time to time? For elephants, we have a little bit of amnesia at the wrong times. Well, I think, you know, I think part of this is former President Trump, when he came down that escalator back in 2015, you know, there are people that weren't normally involved in politics that felt he was speaking to them and they became involved. And many of those folks are still in the party today. Okay. And some of them have like run for local committees and run for state committee and things like that. But I think where we have some issues are some of those folks having not been experienced and not been around believe there's only one way to do something and not understanding that, Hey, what worked in 16 didn't work in 18. 
didn't work in 2020 and certainly didn't work in 2022. You know, we need to change our tactics, you know, along with our messengers and the strategies and the messages if we're going to win in 2023 and twenty twenty. And there's there's another Republican president that they can look to that had to morph over time, keeping principles consistent, but changing with the times. People forget that Ronald Reagan became a governor in the mid-60s, ran for president in 68, then ran for president in 76, and then was this quote-unquote old dude that was running in 80 against an incumbent president and was not winning for much of the 1980 general election run-up. Yet he had to change what he needed to, to adjust to the times, but then also stay consistent with the principles and he had two landslide victories. He had a resurgent economy and he ended the Cold War. Those are the promises that we can have while we have wars overseas, while we have an economy that looks okay in one regard, but people are moving away from the workforce yet again. And we still have this stubbornness of the malaise that Carter talked about in the late 70s that we're now seeing across America where people no longer believe in this country. There are ways that we can do this, and there are examples in our recent past. I mean, Reagan's not that long ago Mm -hmm. to be able to emulate, model now, and move forward for 23 and going into that big 2024 election cycle. Well, and and you you brought up a great point. You talked about how he didn't change his principles or values, but one of the things we need to do, it's not changing ours, but it, it it doesn't mean that we need to try to force policies down the electorate's throat that they don't find popular or embrace, okay? And I think I had a conversation here uh, right before the election. Newt Gingrich was in town, and he said that he had recommended to Kevin McCarthy that we put together an agenda you know, that, that espouses policies that are popular with the American public, you know, and we force the Democrats to vote on that. So, you know, if you look at that, so folks will say, well, Reagan didn't do this or Reagan didn't do that. Well, Reagan had a lot of successes because he focused on the things that he knew could get bipartisan support and could get passed. He was willing to fight, you know, on those issues. And he was willing to fight if somebody tried to bring something up that, that violated his principles or values. But, you know, these are the things that we need to do. I did an interview earlier today, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Well, it's PUP. These are the folks that are on strike. Yeah. But he was asking me, Uh, Democrats are telling folks that if the Supreme Court strikes down Biden's student loan plan, that Republicans are going to suffer at the polls. So he asked me, what did I think? And I said, I think that it it depends that we could if we fail to understand that there's a legitimate problem there. And that's the ever-increasing cost of higher education. Mm -hmm. And while we need to point out that, look, if you sign that note, you need to pay that note, Okay. Now, we can work to try to help folks by allowing them to extend it. We can look to subsidize interest rates. We can look to allow them uh, to refinance it. But we can't take and foist that onto the taxpayers because here's the thing. It does nothing, nothing to address the rising cost of higher education. And it's not going to affect the people that are going to take out loans tomorrow and the next year and the year after that. So I think Republicans need to recognize that the problem, the root cause of the problem, is the ever-increasing cost. And that's driven by administrators. It's driven by inflation. It's driven by student amenities and things like that. And try to introduce, you know, policies or solutions that would have an impact there. And and ones that also speak to compassion and showing an understanding of what everyday folks are going through. I mean, for example, you bring up higher education. I mean, 
the reason why you're seeing increased rates over time is the same reason why you're seeing the inflation in the economy right now. When you have so much free money given, and let's just be honest, the same thing that we saw during the, the COVID lockdown with the free money being accessible to millions upon millions of Americans, and I know people were in need, but was that the right way of doing it? There was going to be an inflationary result to that. Well, let's look at higher education for decades where we're giving away money to 17, 18, 19 year olds. And then while they're on campus, you have Visa and MasterCard and a few others coming and saying, open up this credit card yep. with no jobs. Let's establish that line of credit. Now you have kids coming out of school at 22 years old that need 10 years to get a viable career that are already in debt. Why would we want to replicate that model of problematic behavior? For From a Republican perspective, however, for us to come in and, for example, deal with the, the student debt crisis, to be able to say, these are ways we can deal with it. Let's do this. If you do these type of jobs, maybe we subsidize mm-hmm. your loans. We need more teachers. We need more male teachers. We specifically need more black male teachers in K-12 through education so we could stop losing generations of kids in inner city America. Because if we don't do that, we're not going to beat China and India and others in the, gl- the global economy in the next 50 years. Let's take care of multiple things at once with solutions that are interwoven with both our foreign affairs goals, but also our domestic policy Mm -hmm. and do that in a way that we know we're good at. You said something, Sam, in regards to not shoving policies down the electorate's throat. It is better to fight on the ground that you know. You know, you're a running football team. You run the football. Right. You don't go out and throw the football 55 times a game. Your quarterback can only throw the football 30 yards downfield accurately. You run the football. You got Walter Payton. You got Franco Harris. You got Barry Sanders. You run the ball 25 times. Mm-hmm. In politics, you should do the same thing. And unfortunately, as Republicans, we have gotten so far away from that. We're more inclined to run a a flea flicker on first and 10 from our own 15-yard line and wonder why the ball got intercepted or we fumbled the ball time and time again. Or another jet sweep. Or another jet. We won't look. I was trying to avoid Matt Canada. We're trying to be nice here. No, you're... Listen, I I, I agree with you here. I mean, when we talk about higher education, and, and I threw out a number of things and you threw out a few, there are others. I mean, how about taking and asking kids or encouraging them to go to lower cost community colleges, you know, with transferable credits for the first couple of years. How about allowing kids in high school to be able to take Golden classes Roman. as seniors to take classes at community college to get some transferable credits? And if I, if I may, I just want to jump on that as my, in my former role as the, the former CEO of the Pennsylvania Coalition of Public Charter Schools, we were able to push across the finish line in June, a bill that would allow all high school students in Pennsylvania, including those that enroll that are enrolled at a charter school, to get that dual enrollment because there were only certain schools in Pennsylvania at the time where you could get the high school and that community college credit. Mm-hmm. Now that we can have more kids that can do that, particularly charter school kids, which are disproportionately poor, disproportionately black and brown, you now have those kids in a position to earn credits for a career and a furthered education, and then they get to pick something with some wisdom behind the selection versus I'm supposed to go to college. Well, supposed to go to college also means supposed to get in debt versus what should I do with my life? And that used to be the essence of the American dream. What am I supposed to do with my life to better myself, better my family, better my community, and better my nation? Those type of policies we can purport as Republicans and check all four of those boxes at the same exact time. Yeah, I think we also need to look at making the process of getting accredited, accreditation. We need to make that easier so that more schools 
can become accredited and give kids more options, okay? And we need to take and uh, make, and by doing so, can we make the cost of getting a degree, you know, significantly less? Hey, maybe someone doesn't want the brick and mortar experience. They just want the degree and hit the workforce. Well, maybe they can get a bachelor's for $10,000 and not have to, you know, go through this thing. Because I mean, again, you got the kids, hey man, they want the dorms with the Starbucks food courts and the rock climbing walls and, you know, all the other amenities, but that stuff costs money, you know? And, and I was telling the uh, gentleman that interviewed me today, I said, I, I, you know, if you sign the note, you need to pay it. You too many kids today are even looking at college, not as getting an education, but more of a social it's an experience. It's an experience, exactly. Exclusively, right? which it should be an experience, but it can't exclusively be an experience. Right. You know, so there, there's just a there's a there's a lot of ways we can take and reform education to make it more effective and more affordable. You know, and I believe we have to introduce some competition in and, it. But I think for Republicans, we just need to recognize that the high cost is an issue for people. And we need to try to present solutions to try to address that. And, and culturally speaking, one solution that we can take that doesn't cost us any type of white paper drafting or anything else that, that the former president did actually do very well is we used to look down on people that didn't get the four-year degree from the best college possible, the muckety-mucks of the world. You know, Donald Trump spoke to those folks effectively starting in 2015 throughout his 2016 campaign and throughout his public figure as a politician. We as Republicans need to take that mantle up and say, listen, if you're going to get an associate degree and go make $50,000 a year at the age of 22 and buy a house at the age of 27, you are worthy as an American and God bless you for being a taxpayer. Because starting in the early 1990s with NAFTA, we started looking down on those people. And for 15 to 20 years, we said, those are just jobs that Americans wouldn't do. Right. And now guess what? We have a generation of Americans that feel completely alienated and we wonder why we have a mental health crisis. We wonder why we have a violence crisis. We wonder why we have job crises and an economic crisis where this, we have this disjointedness. And, and that is something that you have to fix through a tone. And that, Sam, that goes back to leadership. That's how we purport ourselves, not just with the public policy, but also how we advocate for the public policy and how we embrace the electorate as a whole so we can have better communities. No, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm excited about what the future can bring. I mean, there's a lot of great Republican candidates out there and a lot of ideas and, and we are the party of ideas. You know, I mean, it seems like the, our opponents, you know, if you look at, for example, here, what we're facing here in Allegheny County in the city of Pittsburgh with crime. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, last week here, uh, we just had a four-year-old little girl Yes, that was murdered, okay, shot to death. And, and her have, mother. And, we, and her mother. And we have the mayor just coming out to say the same thing he said for the last half dozen horrific shootings. This has got to stop. This has got to end. We need peace. No, what we need is law enforcement. We need to take and get the criminals off of the streets. And we need political leadership, not um, community activists. And, you know, the bottom line is there's certain verbiage and there's certain actions that you take as a community activist that make people feel good after the the, the memorial service or after the funeral that can carry the, the peace along. If you don't have public policies and solutions that can bring people together in partnerships to end the scourge that we're seeing in our communities, whether it's violence or it's the homelessness that we're seeing increasingly in downtown Pittsburgh or the economic 
economic disparities that still continue throughout the region, despite having this different type of leadership coming up and about, whether it's Summerlee or or, uh, Mr. Ganey, you have to question what's the purpose of winning those elections. You need to have politicians that become public uh, figures that bring about public policy that change things, that don't just say things. Mm -hmm. And that has to be something that this region eventually gets sick and tired of and stop looking at, well, we, you know, the three to one or the five to one disparity you talked about in the city, Sam, that five to one disparity also comes with a spike in crime and some of the other disparities that they just don't like. When is enough enough? With one party rule. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not sitting here taking shots. I mean, I believe I have solutions, okay? Uh, the mayor, instead of just going on and saying those things, great if he wants to say those things, but there need to be actions attached to them, right? Here are some actions. He He's been be in taking. office for a year, Sam. <clears throat> He's some. been in office for a year, yep. and when we're hearing the same thing over the course of a year, and I, I know you can as a public official, but I'm go, I'm going to say he's been in office for a year. He's had historic um, goodwill as the first African-American mayor of the city of Pittsburgh, born and raised in East Liberty, uh, an alumnus of Peabody High School. That was a time to really have a sea change. It's the same thing that President Obama saw in 2009. And if you don't take advantage of that historic political capital, it's going to dwindle rapidly and you're never going to be in the same political position again. And that's what I fear that he's running into now. Well, he has, you know, when we talk about that, he also has an historic opportunity. I mean, his family himself was a victim of gun violence. I believe he yes. lost his sister. Yes, Okay. tragically. Um, and being African-American, he has the ability to go to that community and say, the steps I'm going to take you know, are significant and they're not going to be without pushback from some folks, but I want you all to know that it's with the interest of trying to protect our community, right? <clears throat> Police, every zone out there, the police commander in that zone knows who the top 25 most violent offenders are. Right? Why aren't we working with the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, ATF, the District Attorney's Office, putting together task forces to go after the, those top 25 and get those folks off the street? He needs to go to city council and say, hey, guys, I know that you passed an ordinance that said, hey, our police can't stop anybody anymore for traffic stops. We need to rescind that. We need to repeal that because you know what? That's how they catch a lot of these folks and get a lot of these guns and things off the street. In September, the number in September, we had had 83, 84 shootings in the South Side, okay? Um, look, it, it's one thing to say the things to try to comfort feeling. That's great. But they need to be coupled with actions that have a demonstrable effect. He needs to speak to our courts and needs to tell our judges, look, you know, it's okay to show compassion, but we can't be putting these people back out on the street, you know, and not holding them accountable, for the actions that they're taking. So, hey, listen, we're going to have to go here uh, because we're down. But, Lenny, I would love to have you back. We're talking about some great things here. And uh, I really think that the two of us could introduce some good ideas here that if our elected officials in Allegheny County in the city of Pittsburgh took into consideration could help make this a better community. I'm looking forward to that open door. I'm looking forward to working with you as always, Sam, and God bless everybody out there. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Folks, you heard it. That was Lenny McAllister, Senior Fellow at the Commonwealth Foundation. And as usual, I think my Executive Director, John, did you say, he doesn't approach, he doesn't hit seven words here. He just sits over there and smiles. I appreciate the record. You know, but thank goodness we have Daryl making all the magic happen. Folks, until next week, this is Sam DeMarco, the elephant in the room on WJAS 1320 AM.